welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here with my friend, my colleague, Dr. Ronnie Kurtz, assistant director of marketing, managing editor of For the Church, uh, assistant professor of Christian studies, and a pastor at Emmaus Church. How you been, brother? I'm doing well. How are you, man? I'm doing okay. Uh, we just got done with our uh, our crazy Thanksgiving week. Yeah. It was... Uh, Did you uh, travel? We traveled. We went to Pennsylvania to see our daughters, spend time with them, got an Airbnb that. up there, and uh, saw a lot of their friends and my uh, future son-in-law's family and everybody coming out. So it was, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, a happening time. Yeah. That's you know, good. You know what I notice? I, you know, you always think, well, the, I, no, I won't say you. I always think that where I'm at, people like are the worst drivers. It doesn't matter where I'm at. And think, man, everyone here just drives terribly. Um, I think that here, yeah, everyone here really? drives, mm. I think, drives too slow. Yeah, I can Until, see that. But on the Kansas side, I feel like it changes. It's weird. I feel like Kansas drivers are, are fast drivers and Missouri drivers are slow drivers. Uh, but this is when a, I went to Pennsylvania, yeah, let me tell you. It, it's a it's pretty aggro. Like they're they are so <laughs> aggressive up there. They're driving super fast, and of course, I'm not familiar with the area, so we're staying in this yeah. Airbnb. I'm having to use my Apple Maps everywhere I go to figure out how to get places, and I'm driving the speed limit, or I'll be honest, five miles over. That's okay, kind of my Rebel. my default is five miles over because I figure cops won't bother with you <laughs> if you're only five miles over. They're like, yeah, I could wait for the six and above guy. So I stay about five miles over the speed limit. And that was not enough. Yeah. I, everywhere I went, there's somebody tailgating me on these two lane roads, and then wow. you got the Amish buggies that are suddenly around every curve up there because you're in uh, we were in <laughs> Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So there's always like some you know horse drawn carriage that's in front of you, and I I'll be honest, I just it it kind of stressed me out. It's it, context matters, man. I, I forgot what comedian said it, but uh, he said one time he was wearing a, a shirt that he liked, and yeah. he looked across the street, and there was a dork wearing the same shirt. I know, I know this, who this comedian and is. And he thought, yeah. oh, man, I have the same sense of fashion as a dork. That's right. And then later, in a nice restaurant, he saw a really good-looking guy wearing the same shirt, and he thought, I'm, I'm the, the dork. dork. <laughs> <laughs> you are like yeah. those slow Missouri drivers. I and guess And then you so. get to Pennsylvania, and you're like, I'm the slow one. That's me. Man. No, well, but I don't think I would have been if I was familiar with the area. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. I just you need to keep in mind there are people who are still kind of figuring things out or uh or that it's an old lady driving. <laughs> I, you know, I just need to Hey, we've got some reviews. Some some oh, new some reviews new I would Good. share. Yeah, there's here's a couple of new reviews. They haven't been pouring in. My theory is because we make fun of them on here, <laughs> people are now reluctant to add reviews. Uh, but if you want to have your name read, for instance, like Smurfin Murfin. <laughs> <laughs> This is why people don't I comment. I <laughs> don't think that's their real name, but Maybe. Uh, it could be. Smurf and Murfin says, uh, helpful and encouraging. Five stars. I've been listening to the For the Church podcast for almost six months now, and every episode that I have listened to has been good for my soul. Let's go, Smurf I've and Murfin. I've been especially blessed these last two weeks by the low-maintenance church members and when you're not feeling it. Oh, as yeah. they both have spoken into very specific circumstances and seasons I'm walking through right now, at my church. Praise mm. the Lord for his providence and using these two episodes when I really needed to hear them. Thanks How so much, Smurfin awesome. Murfin. Man, I have heard a lot of feedback from the low maintenance church member one. Yeah. So listeners, if you haven't listened to that one, go go give it a listen. That's that's good. Yeah. And then here, this is from Jay Fields. Uh, I feel like I may know who Jay Fields you do. is. Do I? 
Mm-hmm. Have we read this before? Have I read this one before? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Jay Fields, love this podcast, exclamation point. Five stars. Jared and Ronnie keep me laughing, and it doesn't take long before I'm edified and my affections are stirred for Christ All right. and his church. That's Thanks awesome. so much. That's some great reviews. Uh, I know I always say at the end, if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a good review. But I'm going to say right now, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a good review. This is how people hear about us. We, we, we you know, we want to climb the charts. Of course, We're just as fleshly as anybody else. <laughs> we want the accolades. You know who's up there? Stephen Furtick. I mean, I don't know. This is Joel a takeover. Osteen. This who's is at, a takeover. Who's at the top of the charts? <laughs> There's probably some good people up there. I don't know the Chandlers and the Terry Cobbles and whatever else. But why not? Why not us? And why, why not, not now? us? Look at this, Jared. We need a thousand more Smurfin' Murfins to come through for us. Uh, my computer just died, and we have questions. Oh, no. Here, I can, <laughs> I can come through for us. What just happened? Okay, you've got the question. You may have to host this episode. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I've got it up. Technical difficulties. Uh, I've got it back up. It's a mailbag episode, and we've got some great topics. Um, let, let me suggest, by the way, so every time we do one of these, I put out on social media, got any questions or topics of discussion, inevitably, 60% of those are things we have covered in past yeah. mailback episodes. I'm not blaming anybody for that. It's impossible, first of all, to listen to every podcast episode uh, forever, especially if you're just a recent listener to the program. Um, uh, uh, but even if you were, I can, you would forget, you know, obviously you would forget things. But l- let me just say, um, if you haven't listened to, to the mailbag apps in a while, go on back and yeah. just listen to those selective episodes. Because we've covered a lot of stuff related to what's going on now in the church and different things. Um, what well, we should well. do, we should make a post on FTC. We'll yeah. get some editor to do this. We'll get some editor, some managing yeah. editor or somebody to write down all of the questions. Whatever that we sucker have covered. comes to replace you. In <laughs> yeah, that role. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get them to write down every question that we've covered that we've in the mailbag. Covered. Yeah, and then link the timestamp to. Wow, that sounds like work. That sounds like a lot I'm of work. So if that. any of you listeners want to do that, that could be a oh, blessing. Somebody could do that. Oh, yeah, totally. We'll get, we'll send you some swag. If you did that, we'll have somebody send you a mug or a T-shirt totally. or something. We'll, we'll, we'll make you. I'll, uh, I'll do it. I'll send you a book. There you go. Yeah. A signed a signed book. copy of a book. There you go. I like this. If you're willing to Let's do see that. see if anyone takes us up on it. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Uh, so here's today's topics. Mark on Twitter. By the way, I also mentioned, because last time I complained that Facebook was a disaster. No one gave us good questions on Facebook. This time around, pretty equal. Okay. Yeah, it was good. We, had, right, we got good feedback all around. Uh, so, so thank you for stepping up your game, uh, listeners. But this comes from Mark on Twitter. He says, what's the best way to faithfully seek other opportunities in ministry while not neglecting duties in your current ministry? I think there's a couple of ways to take the question. So when I first read the question, I assumed that Mark meant looking for other ministry jobs or yeah. roles. Mm-hmm. How do you conduct yourself well in your current ministry if you're looking for another ministry position. But I wonder the way it's expressed, if it just means doing other things. So for instance, if you're in a current ministry position at a church or something, pursuing um, public speaking opportunities or writing gigs or things like that, I thought maybe that's what Hmm. he's talking about. Maybe our answers can apply to both situations. Yeah, I read it as the first one, but maybe we can answer both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Okay, so let's take it as the first one, the idea that you actually want to move on. You're exploring opportunities elsewhere uh, to move on. How do you do that while not neglecting the duties in your current ministry? I I think we've both been through this before. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, A couple of things in response to this question. I think it's a very good question. Um, One is, I I think Mark on Twitter, 
is so right to <laughs> to emphasize not neglecting the current ministry because current ministry means there are people involved. Yeah. And we we are pastoring people, not ideas of people. And so we do not want to shirk pastoral or ministerial responsibilities because there are souls involved. And so we just, you know, at the very beginning, be resolved. You will not not pastor these people. Yeah. No matter what the transition process is like, you're going to be a faithful shepherd. Um, so that that's I like the way that that question is worded. I would say in terms of, you know, seeking other opportunities, um, often if you're being faithful in your current opportunities, they will find you. So you don't got to go looking and sending in a thousand resumes. And um, often if you're being very faithful with what the Lord has given you, other opportunities will come to you. Um, so I think that's probably important to say. As well, um, with opportunities, I think you have to have a good intuition on when to bring others into the process. I think that's a way to faithfully do it. So, I mean, I'll choose my own personal example. I'm making a transition in the, in the coming weeks to another university. And when this particular, when my new employer reached out, um, I knew at some point I'm going to cross a line in this conversation to which I need to let my current employer know. Yeah. Just in good conscience, to be above reproach. And I think churches are the same way. Uh, at some point, you're going to cross a line. And I think you should spend time thinking about what is that line. Is it when you send a resume? Is it when you have a phone call? Is it, is it when you go and preach in view of a call? I mean, you just got to think through what's that line that you're going to bring folks in so they're not, you know, shocked yeah. when you make an announcement on Sunday morning or something. I think that's a way to faithfully do it. Yeah. I, in, in a way, I feel like the question almost answers itself. Like, how do you do it without neglecting duties in your current ministry? Well, don't neglect <laughs> duties right. in your current ministry. Yeah. So wherever you are, be there, right? So, you know, don't give short shrift to the sermon. Don't mm-hmm. give short shrift to pastoral care. If you're navigating your church through a particularly sticky leadership situation, don't tune out or or, or drop out of that um, conversation. Uh, while you're there, be there. So it may mean that you're having to multitask a bit more or have just more in your brain as you think about transitioning, you know, elsewhere. But don't get that sense of, um, you know, senioritis or whatever right. it is where you're you're already in the other place before you're there. Um, to some respect, your you know, your brain needs to be there. Your, you know, your mindset needs to, you know, begin thinking in terms of transition. But while they're, while you're the pastor and there are people to pastor, you need to shepherd them while you're the preacher and there's sermons to be prepared and preached. You're the one who has to preach. So when I was um, transitioning out of my last church, come to uh, Midwestern Seminary, one of my elders basically said the same thing. So um, he said, in the time you have left, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, preaching your guts out every week. Um, and 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 that was a good, a good word for me. Yeah. To just, you know, to think, okay, I don't want to just go on autopilot now or begin to, you know, part of me was even thinking maybe I could sort of disengage and that will um, help them, uh, you know, transition to yearning for the next guy. And <laughs> in some way, they become disillusioned with me if I sort of pull back. Uh, but I thought, no. And, and I couldn't do that. Yeah, I was, I was yeah. you know, the, the only vocational pastor. There were things that had to be done. Um, and we had, um, you know, people who still needed to be cared for. And there was no one else to do it anyway. So even if I wanted to be lazy, um, I you know I couldn't have been. But I didn't want to be. I you know I wanted to fulfill the calling that I had for the time that I had that I was there. 
And in a way, this sort of transitions to our next question, I think. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, why I kind of paired them together. Andrew on Twitter and Taylor on Facebook both asked, how do you end a ministry assignment well? So now you are actually uh, moving on to another position or to another um, assignment. How do you finish well? How do you tie up what you're doing <laughs> in such a way that honors the Lord and, and honors uh, those people. You um, follow Mark's question on Twitter and not neglect duties. <laughs> well, that, there, you, there you go. That's true. You don't no, neglect I do your duties. Think this is actually a really good question. Yeah. One of the things that, again, I'm in the middle of a transition right now, so that's this is uh, very time sensitive to me. One of the things that I'm committed to doing is that I leave my office and it's better than it was when I got there. Okay. Now, obviously, that's I've been in this particular office for over four years and you can't if if it's if you've been a train wreck for four years, you can't fix it in the last few weeks. But one of the things I'm trying to think through is how do I set the next guy up for just to pick up the ball and go and not have to do eight months of what was Ronnie doing? What was he thinking? What projects was he working on? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm I'm mean, I'm doing as practical things as I'm doing videos on my computer to like walk through how I did certain processes and how I thought through different creative assignments yeah. and, and initiatives that I partake in in my work. And I hope that he can, or he or she or whoever they hire to replace me can watch those and be like, okay, this makes sense. I, I have some data points here that I can now pick up and just go and not miss a lot of beat uh, along the way. So I think that's one of the things you think of is how are you setting up the people for success in your absence? Hmm. If, if it's the case that the church falls apart when you leave, um, that, that might not be a great sign that there's been leadership development along the way yeah. and there was a healthy exit and transition process. And, and I do think we need to spend more time thinking through strategic transitional processes than we do. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, obviously depending on what is sending you away or calling you away, um, you know, that will dictate sort of how, how, how you're finishing up. But if there's something that, you know, there's, there's a, a bitterness or a, you know bitter taste or a sourness there or something hasn't there's conflict or something hasn't panned out well um i think it's important to leave honestly but without you know approaching scorched earth kind yes. of but burn bridges sort That's of right. mentality what's a way to honor the lord i don't know that honoring the lord means that you just gloss over everything and you don't address the elephant in the room if there's something that really needs to be addressed um especially if um, you can serve the, your successor. If there is a major dysfunction that, that's taking place in the church that's you know driving you out, if there is a major issue that is, um, if not the cause, one of the precipitating causes for you to want to leave, one of the ways you could actually serve them well is to engage p- the potential conflict with a humble and gentle honesty to say, I don't want whoever you bring in to replace me to face this same issue. Yeah. If you do not fix this, address this issue, if there's a, a problem person or a problem situation, if um, they're not paying a living wage, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and they expect full-time work, all those sorts of, whatever it is, to be able to honestly say, look, I don't want you to face this situation again. I don't want someone coming in to have to face this situation behind me. I really think it would be best for you to address these sorts of things. Do it in an honest way without you know, blowing everybody off, condemning everybody, writing Ichabod on the door, you know, <laughs> as you're, yeah. you know, don't burn the bridge. You may want to, you know, you might have to cross back over it someday. Yeah. Um, you know, right now you're thinking there's no way I would ever do that again. 
but there are relationships there that you may want to maintain. Um, there's a, a legacy that you hope time will be somewhat healing for and uh, speak of you kindly. And if you leave just sort of with a grenade behind you, you know, um, you know, you're kind of blowing that up That's as well, right. right? So not just a situation. But I do think, you know, honesty is 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 good. I had honest conversations with people as I was walking out, thinking, um, you know, if someone comes in, you may want to know about this. And 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 I also spoke with, um, you know, elders at other churches. I remember in particular, I did this, uh, um, you know, retreat for a church in Arkansas. And they were about to call their first vocational elder. The church was planted by lay elders, and they had been going for almost 10 years with all of the pastors being um, essentially uh, lay pastors. So they had no full-time pastor. And they thought, we've reached a stage now. We need someone to be sort of the lead guy, and we're going to hire from without. And they knew some of my situation at my previous church and different things like that, and they just said, what should we know? What should we look for? What are the things to make sure that wh- whoever we bring in, we yeah. bring him into a healthy environment mm-hmm. with healthy expectations? Because in their mind, it was the first vocational guy coming in, they were afraid and we're going to overload him. Like, oh, now he's a full-time, let's just pile up everything that we've not been able to get to. And they were very wise to say ahead of it, let's not burn this guy out before yep. you know he's even here. And so they were asking, how you know, and that was a good you know means for me as I was processing my exit from my last church to actually help others yep. think through honestly how to transition somebody in. So I That's just think helpful. being honest about, you know, conflict and different things like that could be, um, could be helpful um, and that you just don't blow the thing up yep. as you leave. Okay. Changing gears a little bit here. And actually the next two questions are, I think are somewhat related, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, this is Chase on Twitter asking, what are the theological implications of virtual reality church? I assume that's what he means by VR church. What yes. are the, the the theological implications of VR church? And so, first of all, I just want to say, don't do this. <laughs> yeah, don't. <laughs> I'm assuming Chase um, is against this, or he wouldn't be asking it. Because in my uh, in my experience, people who go full bore into these sorts of things really don't ask what the theological implications right. are. They're yeah. simply thinking of the practical yep. uh, reach, the mm-hmm. extension. Hey, we could reach more people if we do this thing. Mm-hmm. And they're not really thinking about the theological. Yeah, level. I would start with this question and talk about where should your temperature be on level of concern? I think that's mm-hmm. a good question to ask about this question because. I think you could fall into two ditches. One is technology is not really that big of a deal. We can keep doing it as we've always been doing it. And I think that's just wrong. Technology is consistently evolving. Yeah. And I think if you're not keeping a careful eye on what's happening with technological relationship to culture, uh, you're going to have a hard time leading in you know, the year of our Lord, 2021 and beyond. However, I also want to be aware of the other ditch, which is, you know, beware technology is coming constantly yeah. and that being the red flag of, uh, I mean, we heard this. We, I remember working in a bookstore in college, a small mom and pop bookstore, and every day hearing about the boogeyman that is Amazon and the boogeyman that is Kindle and yeah. how, you know, physical brick and mortar bookstores are one day going to die. And I mean, it, that's what we talked about almost yeah. every day at a bookstore. And guess what? Book sales are soaring again from physical bookstores. And now that might not be the case here. Maybe VR does take over and we're blindsided by it. But I think there's some pendulum swings that happen in the relationship between technology and culture. And maybe I'm being too optimistic about people. Yeah. But I think people are going to, you know, I think we're even seeing it with 
post-COVID, the Zoom fatigue. We are made to be with one another. And I think yeah. uh, while technology interferes with that, I think there is some kind of calibration wired in us where we know this is weird. Yeah. This is not real church. And so I think that that's just an important thing to say. Don't right. don't freak out. Don't under think through this and don't freak out. That's kind of how I would start it. But then yeah, theological implications. There are many. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There are many. Yeah. This is um this is simply I, I mean I don't want to overstate things, but this is simply a bad idea. Yeah. And I think it's an idea that we should reject. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, two major objections I have to this that I think are, are, are theological implications. First of all, what is the church? What yeah. is the the local church? Is it just a content delivery system? And if that's all it is, if it's just about downloading content to people, then you don't you, you don't need the gathering. You don't even really need the church. You just need some sort of platform to to disseminate information. But that's not what the church is. Right, it's a it's a it's a local gathering of. I mean, if we're talking about the local church, we're talking about a gathering of people, mm-hmm. um, and that involves and entails an embodied presence um, that becomes the context to practice the one another's yeah. and and to carry out the you know um, holding the keys to the kingdom and those sorts of things. The, the disembodied presence of a virtual reality, which is such a weird phrase anyway, the yeah. virtual reality, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you know, I don't want to be the one who's who 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 so you know poo-poo's the idea of you know internet experiences and those the sort of technical things. Technical term for it. Yes, yeah, right. Poo-poo's <laughs> the idea of internet experience because I know people are they're blessed by what they read online. I mean, we publish things online, or you know, um, of course, because yeah. we believe that it, you know it's a it's a great way to reach people, mm-hmm. and that you know people can be ministered to through even tweets and blog posts and podcasts and all sorts of things, but those cannot replace or supplant the reality of of the local church. And so just the very idea of a virtual church, I think, should be, um, uh, um, you know, contradictory. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think in terms There's of no the— virtual I- church. That's right. I think the idea of content dissemination is a really good point because maybe if someone's listening to us, they might have the, uh, that interlocutor feeling of like, well, what about Zuckerberg literally just announced Meta? Yeah. And it's a VR reality in which you can gather. Right. I, I, you can't see me, but I use scare quotes there. You can gather with folks, and by virtue of VR, you can see their avatar. They can see your avatar. You can, you know, quote unquote, be in the same space. And so this this is different than historically just watching a sermon from a preacher you like. Right. You still could, in a way, get together, as it were, and have someone lifetime preach to you, and even talk about doing Bible studies or Sunday schools, and even still. I think the calibration of the human and the desire for transcendentals, the good, the true, and the beautiful, we will get sick of it. Even if people attempt it, it will not last. And that's why I want to raise the temperature enough that we're wise and smart, but not to where we're freaking out. I think there's going to be a fad of this kind of stuff, especially when things like meta come up. Yeah. Well, I mean, mean, we had churches that were doing things like, uh, what's the, the... I mean, there's been a virtual reality uh, alternate um, society. Has yeah. that? What's I forget. It was Second Life. Second Life. I was going to say One Life, but that's yeah. no. Yeah, Second Life. We had where there were churches that are like we have a you know Second Life campus and yeah. things like that, and it's kind of come and gone. Yeah, exactly. I think. You know, people yeah. need. I mean, I'm sure it's still out there. I suppose, but that trend went away. Mm-hmm. But embodied presence is still something. I think it just. In, I don't know. Innately, we we desire that. 
Yeah. For the same reason kids struggle um, when they're used to a school routine to, to be on a Zoom screen, right? And more and more families went to homeschooling because they just thought this is better um, having the you know personal interaction than having them just yes. do Zoom right. for yeah. a year or however long. It's yeah, one go. of the things we say about younger generations is they seem more and more equipped to yeah. call out fakeness. Yeah, and man, that's that's the critique of the actual life church right now is there's so many fake people coming. Imagine yeah. that critique in a world where mm. we're avatars. Yeah, ah, it's a silly. Yeah, and and yeah. and the other you know the other major theological implication that I think or objection that I would offer. So apart from what the Bible says the, you know, ecclesia is, is just the, the, the reality of the incarnation. I think anything that we do that erodes our sense of embodied presence. Yes. You know, the Son of God did not send a hologram. He, he didn't send, you know, a virtual version of himself. He put on skin. That's right. He came as a human being. And that says something, I think, important. And yep. if we're trying to preach uh, not just the doctrine of the incarnation, but the church's embodied presence in the world as the as the uh, uh, you know spiritual body of Christ, to do that in the VR world just doesn't make sense. We're, we're undercutting yeah. even our very doctrine. Yeah. I think. Um, okay, let's move on to the, to the next question. This comes from Daniel on Facebook. Uh, similar, I suppose, but what are the pros and cons with or without video preaching of multi-site versus traditional planting? And this could really be an episode unto itself. So yeah. I think maybe we should yeah. just hit some. Uh, some bullet points here. What are pros and cons of multi-site versus traditional planting? I'll start with, I think one of the pros of multi-site, and I'm not a major proponent of multi-site. I think sometimes it's done better than others. Uh, but one of the pros, I think, is when you have sort of a central budget and central leadership um, over the organization where churches uh, or sites, I guess, you know, campuses, especially if you're thinking in terms of those campuses being proto-church plants, mm -hmm. which I um, I think is if you're going to do it is 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 really the best way to do it that these campuses are the beginning stages of of independent church plants, but it it, all, it it takes pressure off of the individual campuses of having to hit certain markers. If there's a centralized budget, then you almost sort of free them up to do ministry mm -hmm. contextually where they are in 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 ways that are um, where they don't have to worry about you know are we how we're going to pay our you know campus pastor and all these sorts of things. Um, I, I I could see that as a pro. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, where you where other other campuses can can carry the weight, you know, of 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 the whole system. Perhaps I could see that could be a pro. I yeah, suppose. I think you probably you could probably do that without doing multi site. But I I understand yeah, what yeah. you're saying. Um, because even when we plant churches at Emmaus, oh for sure, we we hold some of the financial you're support. Yeah, that's okay. right. So, however, I I think it's important. I don't want to shortchange the pros because I think I can speak for both of us that we would be in the more convinced of we the cons. We would be on the cons. Yeah, we don't. We don't think this is the right model that you should. You should not do multi-site. Greg Allison in his book Strangers and Sojourners or Sojourners and Strangers, however that go, the order goes, <laughs> he does make a theological argument for multi-site. And so, because I don't want to shortchange the actual question, maybe that would be a good person to counterbalance what Jared and I would have to say here. You can go read that book. Obviously, Dr. Allison's a really careful thinker, and while I ultimately disagree with him. He's he's put time in this, and it's yeah. a it's a publication, and it's been through editorial processes. So, uh, but I would say there are significantly more cons than pros to multi-site versus traditional planting. Uh, I even think, man, listen to the rise and fall of Marcel right now. I mean, that, this is one mm -hmm. of the subjects that's coming up, and uh, I think it was in the latest episode, which you were in, by the way. Yeah. What a beautiful voice that was to oh, hear. Thanks, I appreciate uh, that. They were talking about you know how the Seattle campus is just different than like the Bellevue campus right. or you know whatever campus it was, and so. 
the needs are going to be different. The people are going to be different. The, the victories are going to be different. The lows are going to be different. And you need, like we talked about in the last question, you need an incarnational presence yes. of one another's and of a pastoral shepherd in a way that a screen or a multi-site it's just so difficult. And yeah. it almost feels like at this point we can just say, where's the evidence of it going well? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just seems like. Well, there's evidence of it being successful. That's right. Whether it's, but that's a different question, I that's think. That's exactly right. Than it being authentically faithful to the biblical portrait of the exactly. church. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, you know, to me, especially with the video preaching, but I think even otherwise, um, I think it's better when you have a live preacher that campus preacher who knows those people. But just the idea that there would be a pastor of a campus who doesn't know those people, yeah. right? And I know the argument is, well, if your church gets big enough, you're not going to know everybody anyway. I, I understand that. But if you have no embodied presence, you're not shepherding the flock that is among you, First Peter chapter 5. It's You're shepherding a flock that is, you know, across town. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're preaching to them or you're over them in some way, even if they have their own preacher, supposedly, but you're the lead pastor of this multi-site thing. You don't know those folks. You're, how are you pastoring them? Mm-hmm. It, it, it just cuts against the grain of, bibl- of the portrait of, of biblical pastoring yep. in, in a way that traditional planting, I think, meets. And so one book I would recommend, uh, it actually goes deeper than just the multi-site question. It actually goes to the multi-service question. <laughs> So it's convicting is one assembly yeah, by Jonathan, by Jonathan Lehman. Lehman, which yeah. I, was one of my favorite books of last year. Yeah, our church, which is at two services, we take that very seriously. We're working as hard as we can to get into one service yeah, because we church. are so convicted um, uh, about this and what we want to do because we keep growing and and to facilitate that growth is not to plant sites or to launch sites, but to say that you know the, the best thing for us to do is in the meantime you know, uh, find a larger space, but to begin planting, mm-hmm. that's the natural sort of uh, way to mitigate, you know, growth or that's rapid right. growth is to begin sending people out. Uh, okay, let's move on to our last question here because uh, we're running out of time. How to help people with deconstructing their faith? This could be an, a, a, an episode done to itself as well. This is Randall on Facebook wants to know, how do you help people with de- deconstructing their faith? This is another question that I wasn't quite sure how to take it because yeah. I don't want to help anyone <laughs> deconstruct their faith. <laughs> yeah. But he may just mean, how do you minister to people who are doing yeah, this? who are in the process. Not that how do you help them with it. it. Yeah, and it's probably important right. to say right now, that word is such a buzzword. Oh, it's like woke. Now. Yeah, it, what does it yeah. even mean at yeah. this point? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's being hijacked by, you know, 10 different streams flowing into this river. Uh, so <laughs> right. it's we probably should just admit that at the outset. So maybe it's helpful to... To, to think through what we mean by deconstruct, because there are, there are helpful ways. And I think this is what some, you know, on the other, other side of this conversation than where I would probably land are trying to say is, hey, deconstruction doesn't have to be bad if you were raised in abusive ecclesial situations yeah. or, you know, God forbid, racist ecclesial situations or neglecting ecclesial situations. There's a way in which you can be scarred by the church and deconstructing those scars yeah. in a healthy way can be God-honoring. I think if we're just being honest and not trying to nuance that word you know, to pieces, the average person, when they hear the word deconstruct, they're going to hear it in that meaning. It's taking apart someone's faith yeah. to where there's no longer a structure left. Right. Um, 
And in that sense, deconstructing is negative. We do not want people to deconstruct their faith. Right. And so I think how to help people to answer your question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Randall on Facebook, I'm reading your question like that. Okay. Um, how do I help someone who is deconstructing a good structure, which yeah. is Christian faith? Is one of the things I've become more and more convinced with is that beauty is the best apologetic. And what I mean by that is whatever truth I'm trying to convince someone of, I don't just only want to convince them that it's true. I want to help them see how it's beautiful. And when we can get a taste or a vision of how something is beautiful, I think it's the human impulse to construct towards beauty. And so, for example, if your Christian faith is merely a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, if it's a heaping dose of the law, man, it's of course people are going to deconstruct from that. But if your Christian faith is a gospel-centered, you know, Jesus-saturated, freeing from the shackles kind of faith, man, of course people are going to want to construct towards that. Mm. And so I would say, man, pastors, do a little more work intellectually on not only arguing that Christianity is true. Yeah, we should do that, of course, defend the faith but show how it's beautiful. And I think that will help with a deconstruction conversation. Yeah, um, I think we need to dis- distinguish between a deconstruction and the right kind of reformation, yeah. right? I mean, what I think you know, the right kind of deconstruction is, is a comparing of your church experience or background to the principles of the word, to you know, um, reaffirming sola scriptura in a way, to say, does this comport with Scripture? And, and, and that can include faith questions. So yes. I, I've thought about this a lot because we didn't use this term when I was a young person growing up. Or, you know, I know it's, it's not original to the church world. I think it's you know, Jacques Derrida or you know, somebody who you know, came up with the idea of deconstruction. It's now been applied to the evangelical experience um, and leading into this experience of the ex, you know, ex-evangelicals and those sorts of things. But you know, certainly when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I was thinking, okay, do I believe in, for instance, the pre-tribulational rapture because it's biblical or because my church always taught it? Yeah. And so I, that sent me into the scriptures. It didn't have me going, um, is the Bible true or anything like that? But it had me going, what does the Bible actually say about this? Well, I think that's a form of deconstruction yes. in a way. But it was me trying to conform what I believed about the Lord's second coming to the scriptures. And if I come out as a pre-tribulational rapturist, fantastic. But that's because the Bible says it, yeah. not because that's just what I was taught. Yeah, Reformation. That's yeah, the so right I think, and, and I think there's even big faith questions that we can ask about this. Gosh, was Jesus really God, right? Uh, if I have a concern about that, I go to the Word. What does the Bible say about it? That's sort of the thing where, you know, in a way, it's, it's, it's being a Berean, mm-hmm. is what I'm being taught actually in the Word of God. It's when you get beneath that to say, gosh, is, did God actually say? And now you're echoing that ancient sort yep. of, seed of doubt, that's a different thing. That's right. To say, you know, uh, what do I really believe? You know, what does the Bible teach? That's a different than did God actually say? And I think the modern, the contemporary um, realm of deconstruction, uh, I think, has is, is drifting into that. Did God actually say? So now we have people, you know, questioning, uh, you know, biblical sexual ethic and, and, and all these sorts of things. Um, and, and they're not able to distinguish between um, you know, cultural things that maybe the church has erected on top of, yes. you know, biblical theology and actual 
being a biblical theology, they're deconstructing everything. Mm-hmm. So I think trying to take people back to the scriptures is the is is the main point here. And if you have somebody that you're trying to help, and they and they just don't believe in the Bible, I mean, so now you're at the point of saying, you know, m- you know, they're not converted, or maybe they're not, you know, a Christian, and and now we have to have evangelistic sort of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can only go so far with somebody who, if they reject the authority of God's word, then there's not much you can do, right? Um, in terms of where they end up in these in these bigger questions, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I know we're not going to solve the deconstruction thing as one aspect of our you know mailbag <laughs> uh, episode, but I think you know, yeah, that's sort of the way that you would. That's how I would, you know someone came in and and said I'm I'm rethinking everything. I'd say, well, let's define what everything is. And let's get the word of God open. Yeah. You know? I think level-headedness is so helpful here. I yeah. think the the wrong way to respond to I'm rethinking everything is an utter freak out. Yeah. Because you just become an unsafe place to bring questions to, legitimate questions people are yeah. going to have. And so a level-headed response that feels the weight of their weighty questions, that's willing to point out beauty where there is beauty and yeah. willing to point out truth where there is truth, I think that's really helpful in bringing construction instead of deconstruction. Right. Right. If I could recommend a book, this is this is one that came out. Actually, TGC is the publisher of it, um, called uh, "Before You Lose Your Faith." Yeah, and uh, it's different contributors. I in in full disclosure, I contributed a chapter to that book where I actually just explored the idea that sometimes people just don't believe, but they the idea that we could just answer everybody's, you know, apologetic or whatever questions they would stay in the faith is. I think misunderstands fundamentally where that faith is supernatural. That's a gift from God. And so I think answering questions pastorally, helpfully, gently is important because they uh, very often do um, solidify people's faith and strengthen their faith and those sorts of things. But sometimes people just don't believe. That's right. People fall away, you know? And, and so in that, you know, in my chapter, in my contribution, I just sort of bring up the idea that sometimes people, um, they're just not genuinely converted. And mm-hmm. we actually have to trust in the, in the power of the gospel and not necessarily in our, our best arguments. Um, we can make those. Those adorn, I think, the gospel's power, but they can never replace it. You can't yeah. argue someone um, into the kingdom. But, but those who are genuinely struggling, I think you're right, to, um, to be merciful with those who doubt, right? To be gentle uh, with them. If, if they're asking le- legitimate questions, and they need help to be a helpful presence. Yep. How would right. Christ receive them? All right. Well, hey, great episode. Um, really enjoyed doing the the mailbag. Yeah, with you, it's brother. fun. It's always good. Thanks for asking good questions, folks. Yeah, absolutely. And dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 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 <laughs> wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I mean, no judgment. If you're on some kind of low rent site out there, uh, good for you. Uh, <laughs> Until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.